Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms, or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up, was a challenge. But OneBone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, OneBone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a OneBone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone, for big and all. Salutations. Welcome everybody to Keyboard Kimura. I'm East Hunter Kite, your friendly neighborhood defense fan. This is 10 Things That We Like About UFC 293, presented by One Bow. UFC 293 takes place on Saturday at Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, Australia. Pay-per-view, not tailored to the North American audience, and I feel like that is the right place to start. So let's get into it. Item number one, another international event. So last week, we were in Paris. The week before, we were in Singapore. This week, we are in Sydney, Australia. And the one through line through these three events have been that they are events tailored to the local audience. And it's something that I want to point out and talk about here because the tendency thus far has been to say, man, look at the response as the UFC goes into these markets and it's not at the apex and there's a crowd and there's people. But it's not just that there's a crowd and there's people. It's that these fight cards are built for the audience that is going to be in attendance. 
The same way that when the UFC goes to London, the fight card is stacked with British fighters, fighters from the United Kingdom, fighters that have competed in that region, in that area routinely in the past, right? Gunnar Nelson is often on the cards, even though he's from Iceland, he's competed there regularly throughout his career and, and is beloved. And the reason that they get these pops, the reason that the atmosphere resonates through the television is because the crowd in the arena, the people that are there watching live are fully invested. And so as we get to this fight card on Saturday that I've seen a lot of people criticizing for the lack of depth, the lack of quality, the lack of big names on this fight card, I hope people will understand that it is not built or tailored to, to a North American audience. It is built and tailored to the people that are going to be turning up in Sydney. And this lineup for the folks in Sydney is outstanding. Main event featuring Israel Adesanya, obviously a massive star worldwide, somebody that North American audiences are 100% in for. Co-main event, Tai Tuivasa. He is a local boy through and through. West, West area of Sydney, coming through. He's Shea, let's go, bam, bam. Then you've got Tyson Pedro. You've got Justin Taffa. You've got Jack Jenkins. You've got a number of fighters from City Kickboxing and from Australia that, that these fans, that this audience has watched come up the same way that British fans, fans in the United Kingdom have watched these athletes from Cage Warriors come up and come out to support them. The same way that fans last week in Paris came out and turned out in droves and were really excited to see guys like William Gomi and Morgan Chetier, who aren't big names, household names to North American audiences and fans that haven't been paying attention to those athletes' careers the whole way along. It's not about us this week. Now, I understand the argument that pay-per-views are traditionally tailored to that North American audience and that the most pay-per-view sales take place in North America. That is undeniably true because in other places, they are either packaged into television rights and television programs. So you're not actually paying a pay-per-view fee as I will on Saturday, spend $64.99 to order UFC 293 through Shaw Cable here in British Columbia, or I might do it through Fight Pass. I haven't decided yet. We'll see. Probably Shaw because I can record it and do rewatches if need be. But that, does, that shouldn't matter. That doesn't matter to me. There, there needs to be, in my opinion, my thoughts, my feelings a greater understanding that sometimes these events aren't for us here in North America. They're about the people that are going to be in attendance and catering to them. Additionally, if you want to see fight cards in North America have this feel, and the reason I'm mentioning this off the top is I think Saturday is going to have an absolutely electric feel. It's the first time in seven years that the UFC is back in Sydney. They've been to Australia a few times, obviously, even earlier this year in Perth, but they haven't been to Sydney in a long time. And I think this place is going to be packed. I think it's going to be electric from the jump and it's going to radiate through the screen the same as it always does when they go to these international venues. Even Singapore a couple of weeks ago at Kalang Indoor Stadium, like it, it, it was rocking. And I think it's going to be on Saturday. And so if we, as that North American audience that wants to be critical and say, this is what the UFC should do, get them out of the apex. 
it's on us and it's incumbent on us to want to see those events in North America be filled the way that they are when they go international. And we haven't gotten that lately. I hope we do going forward. I hope this feeling of, of not having seen it for a while live in our area, as I saw out here in Vancouver, I was hesitant that it was going to be a big, big turnout and a good turnout because it hadn't been in some of my previous experiences with Vancouver fight fans and with events coming to the city, but I was wrong. It was great from the get-go, loud, really packed, really excited, really educated audience from the beginning. Great to see. I think we're going to see that Sunday, but we got to remember that this isn't just about, hey, it's not in the apex. It's about a fight card that is tailored to that audience and those people caring about these athletes in ways that you and I as a North American audience don't necessarily care about them, know them, understand them, look forward to seeing them compete. Keep that in mind sometimes when we're being hypercritical. Item number two, dialed in Israel Adesanya. It seems to me that Izzy is really locked in for this one. This one feels a little special to him. One, defending his title on home turf, certainly a thing that he gets up for or close to home turf. You understand what I say, what I mean when I say home turf, Australia, New Zealand, certainly not the same country, but the Anzac region for Izzy has been his home turf as the UFC hasn't brought a pay-per-view fight card for him to compete on to New Zealand itself as of yet. I'd like to see them do that one time, maybe. He seems dialed in. This seems like a moment for him where he really wants to make a statement. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, I, I really think all the stuff that Sean Strickland has been talking for the last year or so, dating back to his, his fight with Alex Pahea, when he started chirping at Izzy and he started, you know, questioning his style choices and saying all kinds of different things, Izzy turned around and fired back at him and said, give you the opportunity, I'll knock you out and I'll do a TikTok dance over your body. I think he really wants to do a TikTok dance over Sean Strickland's body this weekend. And that has me excited. There have been moments throughout Israel Adesanya's career where he hasn't necessarily been dialed in. Connor Rebush put up a really good piece today on Bloody Elbow talking about the bangers and the boring fights, essentially. There have been both. We can acknowledge that. Now, I'm still a fan of those fights where the action isn't as great as normal. The Jared Cannonier fight, for instance, the second Marvin Vittori fight as well, where Izzy is being more patient and he's being more tactical and holding back a little bit. It's where Sean Sheehan would normally push and be like, just go and do something. And I would always fire back and say, listen, I'm okay with him. It's on the other guy. Why is it on him to go out and risk it? But we saw last time, against Alex Pahea, that he wanted to go out and make a statement. Statement was made, second round knockout win. And I think he wants to make a statement here. I think Izzy's starting to get into that. And this is just my thinking. This is my, you know, sideline psychologist here. I think he's starting to get into that space of, I want to close things out. I want to make a real lasting, real big impression as I start winding down here. Cause there's not a lot of fights left for him. Harry Powell and I were talking about this over the last couple of days of like, what is, what does the future hold for Izzy? There's not a ton of options in the division. There's certainly a few. We will get to them on Sunday on the takeaways, but there's not a ton. And he's not a guy that I see 
going up and making a full-blown move to, to 205 long-term because frame-wise, body-wise, composition-wise, it's just not something I think he's looking to do. And so I think he wants to start putting up some of those performances like he had early in his UFC career that really were the memorable ones, the, the, the knockouts, the finishes, the highlight reels. I think he's looking for that. And I think he will not necessarily chase that on Saturday, but take every opportunity that is presented to try to get it. Item number three, next man up as challenger. Listen, I know Sean Strickland wasn't the number one guy that the UFC was looking for here. It was Drickus Duplessis who had an injured foot, wasn't able to make the timely, the quick turnaround, the rapid turnaround from his win over Rob Whitaker in early July. Fully understand him saying, no, I want a full camp, biggest fight of my life. I'm not going to do this compromised. No, no begrudging DDP in this one. But I do like that we just moved on to the next guy. And now I understand that there will certainly be pushback and people that say, well, the UFC should have waited and shouldn't be building the schedule around what well, we need Izzy in this spot. So whoever's available to fight Izzy. And I, I can agree with that. I can understand that. But I also like the fact that we're just having the next person in line challenge for the title. We saw it with Amanda Lamos when she fought Zhang Wei Li last month. I think it's what the UFC really truthfully needs to get back to. Instead of constantly trying to manicure these fights and force these fights together that don't necessarily line up properly, that don't always have heat and selling points and big narrative to them. This is supposed to be the best fighting the best. And so whoever's ready and available, get them in there. This, even for me, goes back to January when I spoke with Valentina Shevchenko or end of December when I spoke with Valentina Shevchenko and said, where have you been? Like, you haven't fought since June. What's going on? She was like, I've been waiting. I wanted to fight in October. I'm waiting to figure out what's going on. Whoever it is, if Menon Fioro is ready, let's go. If she's not, Alexa, let's go. Give me whoever's ready. I want to stay active. That's what I want to see more of. And so whether you think Sean Strickland is deserving or not, we can certainly have that conversation and have that debate if you would like. I think he's done enough overall to merit this opportunity when you look at the totality of what he's done, when you look at the one guy to beat him cleanly is the former champ, Alex Pahea, lost the split decision to Jared Cannonier at the end of the year, but has rebounded with consecutive victories already this year. So certainly somebody that is just that next person in place. I'm okay with those people getting championship opportunities. That's what it used to be back in the day that everybody swears they loved, that everybody reminisces over and waxes nostalgic about. This is how it used to be. Patrick Cote got a middleweight title shot. Talis Latis got a middleweight title shot. Josh Koscheck got a welterweight title shot. Dan Hardy got a welterweight title shot. This is Sean Strickland being the next in that line. And I'm okay with that. I look forward to that on Saturday because I think it can be more interesting sometimes than those fights that we're really waiting on and we're progressing to slowly and seeing if we can get there. This is just a bit of a chaos matchup. And I want to see if it plays out in the exciting fashion one way or the other that I expect it to on Saturday. Item number four, heavyweight co-main event banger. Listen, I mentioned it earlier, Taito Ivasa, local boy, West Sydney, coming out, fighting at home for the first time since his UFC debut. 
which was a win over Rashad Coulter by flying knee, taking on Alexander Volkov, who was on a two-fight winning streak, who has looked more aggressive, who has looked more confident, who has come forward a bunch more in his last two victories over Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Alexander Romanov. I think this is a great fight. I don't necessarily know that it has anything to do with title contention right now because both of these guys are sort of on the outside of the title picture looking in. Bam Bam coming in on a two-fight slide. Volkov, as I said, coming in on a two-fight winning streak. But three losses in his career to guys that are currently stationed ahead of him in the rankings. He is at number seven as we speak today. But it's still a really good fight. It's still going to be an entertaining fist fight between two heavy between two heavyweights. Taitui Vasa knows he needs to get one back here. He doesn't want to lose three straight fights again. He's done that before in his career. Had a good run, got close. He's had a couple setbacks here with Cyril Gunn and Sergei Pavlovich, two dudes that you certainly don't hang your head about losing to them, but you don't want to lose three straight. And I think he's got a point to prove. I think he's going to be motivated by fighting at home. And Volkov, at 34 years old, turns 35, as I said yesterday, later this early, late next month, excuse me, still very much in the mix, still a guy that if he really is truly developing and improving and showing these lasting developments and improvements, could become a contender. 35 isn't that old in the heavyweight division. If he goes out and puts out Tai Tuivasa on his home turf on Saturday, we got to start talking about him again. We got to start thinking about him again. I think this is going to be a great fight. Like, I know it's not the caliber of fight that people want as the co-main event here. Again, I will also say that this is the kind of fight that was the co-main event in all of those years gone by that people seem to wax, wax nostalgic for all the goddamn time. And yet now that we get it, it's not good enough, but I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get on my soapbox. I think it's going to be a great fight. I hope everybody enjoys it as much as I will. Item number five, Manel Cape is finally fighting. This is just one of those ones like, and I'm, I'm going to knock on wood as I did when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, as we joked about the curse of uncle creepy and not being able to get a fight and not not being sure that it's going to happen until he sees Felipe Dos Santos standing in the octagon. Cape is just a guy that I want to see more of. He's just a guy that I really look forward to seeing him in there against the best of this division. I spoke with him when he started his UFC career ahead of his debut against Alessandro Pantoja. I said, what can people expect? Like when people that haven't seen you, see you for the first time. What is this first year going to look like? What is this first performance going to look like? And he said, I'm going to be champion. I'm the best fighter in the world. I'm going to be the champion. That hasn't worked out thus far, but he's still really good. And we just need to see him. He feels like a guy, and I mentioned this yesterday, feels like a guy that just needs to stay active. So far, these changes, these setbacks, these long stretches without competing aren't on him. And I, I don't say that in a, like, it's his opponent's fault. Things happen. This is MMA. Stuff happens all the time. As Harry would say, to quote the great Gus Johnson, these things happen in MMA. But I think he needs to stay active. And that's when we will start to see and get to see some of those really great talents, some of the really great performances, similar to what we saw in Ryzen, what we saw in his wins over Ode Osborne and Jalgis Jumagulov, and to a lesser extent, 
David Dvorak. I'm happy he's finally going to get to make the walk on Saturday, and I hope he gets to do it more frequently going forward. Item number six, another look at Justin Taffa and Tyson Pedro. If you follow me, if you listen to this show, if you listen to anything I do, you know I am somebody that is just about looks. Every week I come on here and I say, look, this is somebody that I just want more information on. I want a chance to make another read, a chance to make another assessment, to watch another fight and take what that fight gives me and put it through my processing. And I understand that Justin Taffa isn't somebody that a lot of people are super excited about, even though he's a 29-year-old heavyweight coming off two straight victories before his no contest last time out. And that Tyson Pedro is 31 and has stumbled many times in the UFC and probably, truthfully, isn't going to develop the way that I have long-term hoped he is going to develop. But that doesn't mean I'm, I'm not interested in seeing it one more time. That doesn't mean I'm not interested in sitting down and taking in more information again. That's what this is for me. And I understand that people don't want to pay 65 bucks to sit down and take in information on Justin, Justin Taffa and Tyson Pedro. But like for me, of the things I like, a chance to watch these guys and make more reads and get more data on these athletes is always welcomed, right? We get to that point a couple years down the road, maybe Justin Taffa, as I said yesterday, develops into the next Tai Tuivasa, becomes one of those guys that is just in that 10 to 15 range, putting on fun, entertaining fights, knocking some dudes out, getting knocked out every once in a while and become somebody that we enjoy. Maybe we start seeing he and his, his little brother, Junior, taking out fools, and we get to enjoy watching the Taffa gang run through the heavyweight division. Like, this stuff excites me. This stuff intrigues me. It captivates me at times. And I know that I am the outlier, and I am the wild card in all of this. But, like, there's so many reasons to be down about things within this community, in this sport that I want to sit here and find reasons to be up. I want to look for stuff that brings me joy, that brings me excitement, that brings me happiness. And watching Justin Taffa go out there and fight Austin Lane and watching Tyson Pedro go out there and fight the pleasure man, Anton Turkali, brings me joy. I look forward to it on Saturday. You should too. Item number seven, Carlos Alberg's development. Speaking of things that bring me great joy, watching this man learn on the fly and figure out how to deploy his considerable striking weapons, how to use his reach, use his length, also use that check left hook that is so crispy. It's been really fun to watch. Like we saw him in his debut against Kennedy and Zechiku, where at the time it felt like the mindset was, I'm just going to overwhelm this dude. I'm going to come out and I'm going to throw everything at him. I'm going to hit him with everything. And at some point, he is going to wilt. That didn't happen. Kennedy took everything he had to offer. And by the second round, Carlos Alberg was tired and Kennedy got him out of there. Since then, he is starting to put the pieces together. He is starting to learn. He had the unanimous decision win over Fabio Charant, where he gained that 15 minutes of experience, always a valuable thing. And since then, it's been first round stoppage, first round stoppage, first round stoppage. He dropped Tefan Chukri with a jab which gave him just that understanding of 
I've got a good, clean, powerful jab and I can land it and it can hurt people. It's, it's a weapon in and of itself and an underutilized one at that within the sport as a whole. Next time out against Nick Negumarianu, he let Negumarianu take his shots, make his big swings, made his reads, stepped off, cracked him, finished, done. Beautiful performance. Last time out against Ihor Pretoria, I watched it back again yesterday, and it's just beautiful. It's just really nice work. He hits that little short left hook a couple of times coming in. It's the thing that drops Pretoria, but there's also the high kicks that come without any telegraph, without any tell. He moves well. He feels more comfortable. He looks more comfortable moving around, being inside the octagon as opposed to being in a ring as they are most of the time for kickboxing. And it's really cool to see. I like this matchup on Saturday. I like this opportunity for Alberg against Da Jung to go out and maybe get a fifth straight victory and take another step forward because he really looks like somebody that is starting to put the pieces together. And at light heavyweight, Dana says it all the time on Contender Series. We talk about it all the time on these shows. Sean and I talk about it when we do the State of the UFC addresses. Light heavyweight is shallow. And if we can get new blood, an impressive, entertaining new blood that looks good in the cage as well, looks good getting off the bus. Shouts to Chad Dundas. I'll take that as well. Item number eight, jenkins Marichal matchup. Love this fight. This to me is quality matchmaking. This to me is terrific matchmaking by Sean Shelby and McMaynard taking a guy in Jack Jenkins who was local, who was on a two-fight winning streak in the UFC, a nine-fight winning streak overall, and putting him in there with a bit of a hellraiser with a bit of a wild card in Chepe Marichal, who debuted on short notice, beating Trevor Peak up a division, now comes back down to his natural weight class at featherweight. He's a guy that had a lot of good experience on the regional circuit, isn't going to be an easy out for anybody. And this is just, it tells us right away where each of these men stand in the featherweight division and what we can expect of them going forward. Both 30 years old, Different levels of experience, different types of experience to get to this point where they're sharing the octagon. But we find out on Saturday, is Jack Jenkins somebody that is going to keep progressing forward and is capable of becoming another, not necessarily star from Australia, but consistent, successful fighter from this region that can be a part of these shows, but also keep growing and going forward at 145? Or is Chepi Marichal just a guy that Late bloomer, got here a little late, had his ups and downs, but now he's here and he's ready and he's dialed in and he's going to be that constant sort of tough out, miserable, miserable presence in the featherweight division where maybe he doesn't get into the top 15 because that's a difficult chore getting into that group, especially at, at featherweight, excuse me, where there is a great deal of talent, but maybe he becomes that guy as he was to Trevor Peak, as he could be to Jack Jenkins on Saturday, just that real tough litmus test that is experienced and good everywhere and has a good gas tank and is tough as nails and has a good chin and just constantly produces fun, entertaining, exciting fights that tell us something about his opponents. Sometimes you need, my editor at .com, Tom Gerbasi, back in the day, forwarded me an article and I forget who wrote it but they, they called Joe Frazier a truth machine. And I think that is such an important thing, an important descriptor. I think Chepe is a truth machine. He's going to tell us the real truth about Jack Jenkins on Saturday. 
you got to be a certain caliber of guy with a certain composition to beat Machine Gun Marischal. We'll see if Jack Jenkins can do it on Saturday. Item number nine, intriguing lightweight contest between Jamie Malarkey and John McDessie. Look, these are guys that are outside of the top 15. John McDessie, John McDessie, excuse me, could very well be outside of the top 30. I think Jamie Malarkey is probably in that second 15, but the loss to Muhammad Naimov last time out certainly makes that footing a little bit more suspect. And that's why I want to see this one. I want to see how Jamie Malarkey responds. I want to see what his mental makeup is, what his mindset is like coming off a loss like that. These are the fights that tell us so much about these athletes. And at 29, he was in a position where if he won that fight, he was moving forward again. He was getting closer and closer to being in that top 15. And now maybe he wouldn't get there because again, such a difficult chore to get into the top 15. And I think we take for granted how difficult it is to break into and remain in the top 15 as some of these athletes have, especially in these deeper, more competitive divisions like lightweight, featherweight, bantamweight, and so on. But I want to see this one because McDessie is the kind of guy similar to Chepe. If you take him too lightly, if you're not prepared, he's a guy that can go out there and beat you and make you look bad and pick you apart because he's technical, he's smooth, he's quick, even at 38, still got good reactions, good timing on his strikes, can work from distance, can do okay inside in the clinch as well. Really want to see this one. This one's interesting to me, especially from the malarkey side of things. Let's see what that mindset is. Let's see what that makeup is as you come back into this fight off a bad loss. Quite frankly, a bad loss. Not in in that it's a bad loss. Not in not in that it's a loss to a guy you shouldn't lose to, but it's a bad loss because it felt to me like he took Muhammad Naimov lightly and was looking past him and he had to pay for it. Those are the ones that tell you the truth about yourself. Those are the ones that'll set you straight. So we'll see how Saturday looks for, for Jamie Malarkey. Item number 10, I can't quit Nasrat Hakparast. Said it yesterday, saying it again here today. I'm probably going to be here two years from now when Hakparast is 30 years old and he's won four more fights, but lost three more fights. He probably won't fight seven times in two years. He's won two more fights and lost another fight. And I'm still sitting here going, is this guy ever going to turn the corner? As I said yesterday, we've probably gotten that answer in the fact that he's failed to clear that next hurdle every time it's been put in front of him, Drew Dober, Bobby Green, those kinds of fights. I still can't shake it. I'm still sitting here really looking forward to seeing him in there against Landon Quinones on, on Saturday because when he looks good, you're sold. When he looks good, you sit there and you go, man, this kid could be something. He's only 28. He's got a good jab. He trains with good people. He's well-rounded, looks the part, could, could be something. And I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to hold myself to not getting too excited about what this performance looks like on Saturday. And if he loses, I will come out and tell you on Sunday on the takeaways that I'm done, that I'm officially quitting Nasrat Hakparast. But chances are he's going to get a victory. Chances are he's going to look good. And I'm just telling you, I'm looking forward to it. I'm being honest. I want to be honest and transparent and truthful with you guys at all times. I'm looking forward to seeing this kid compete. He looked good against John McDessie last time out, utilizing some wrestling, utilizing some clinch, 
as opposed to just standing in space. That is a smart IQ, good game plan, thought out approach to facing John McDessie. I think we get a good performance on Saturday and I will once again be sitting here being, being the guy sitting here thinking he's, he's, he's getting close. The talent's there. He may turn the corner. Can he, can he get there? I just can't, I can't quit this kid. I'm still in, still on the bandwagon. There's a whole bunch of seats. It's not nearly as full as it was back in the day, but I am still here. I'm still hanging out on the Nasrat Hackbarass bandwagon. And I want to see what he has to do on Saturday. Those are the 10 things. That's it for the program. As always, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Sign up for the Keyboard Kimura newsletter by scanning the QR code if you are watching on YouTube down in the bottom, my right-hand side of the screen, that little code down at the bottom. That'll take you to the newsletter on Substack where you can sign up for a free subscription for $5 a month for 50 bucks for the year. Gets you everything that I put out straight into your inbox as soon as I hit publish. Appreciate you however you subscribe however you consume this material. I thank you for it. Always a shout out to the sponsors at OneBone, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite for all your apparel needs. Use the promo code Spencer Kite for 15% off your first purchase at checkout. It is a one-time use code, but I will certainly have more codes for you as we go forward throughout the year. If you are purchasing stuff from OneBone, I assure you, you are going to enjoy it. I wear it every day. It's all I wear. There's an order being delivered today. More stuff coming, including the blue camo. I'm looking forward to it. Shouts to Adam. Shouts to Sam. New drops coming next week, I believe, as well. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram as well, at One Bone Brand. It's UFC 293 Fight Week. I'm getting excited. I hope you are too. Thank you for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow with the picks and plays. Saturday, we will do 10 things. Sunday, we will do the next day takeaways. And then we'll just keep rolling forward because this, this train never stops. We just keep going and I love it. I'm happy to be back. Thank you for bearing with me last week when I wasn't around. Feeling healthy, feeling good, feeling excited. UFC 293, Saturday night on pay-per-view. Let's go.